Would you go with me to John chapter 17? John chapter 17. And as you go there, a couple of questions for you to think about. How do we know as followers of Christ that we will be with Him one day in glory? And I think I know what you would say. You would say, the Bible tells me so. How do I know I'll be with Christ in glory one day? The Bible tells me so. Well, how do we know that we will enjoy being with Jesus for all eternity? I mean, because forever is a long time, right? How do we know we're going to enjoy that? And I think I know what you would say. Your answer would be, well, the Bible tells me that too. But what about in the meantime? What about between now and then? How are you to get along here on earth while you wait for that day when you will be with Jesus for all of eternity? How are we to get along? How are we to get by? How is God going to provide for us here as we we sang of it? There are griefs and sorrows we endure as we live on this earth. How is God going to help us with that? I mean, we look forward to an eternity, don't we? And we rejoice and we think all suffering and sorrow, no more tears, no more pain, no more sin, especially my sin. You ever think about that? You won't have to fight sin anymore in heaven. When you see Jesus face to face, that's going to be gone and done with. But how are we to get by now in the meantime? My answer to you, and maybe your answer to me, would be God's Word tells me that too. God tells us how we're going to get by. God's Word tells us how followers of Christ will get along this side of heaven. And I want you to look with me at John chapter 17 as we come to the end of this high priestly prayer of Jesus in John 17, verses 24 through 26, where Jesus prays, Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me may be with me where I am, to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you, and these know that you have sent me. I made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. Last week, we noted that Jesus prayed in verses 20 through 23, not only for the 11 disciples, but also for all who would believe in him through their word. And the subject of his prayer, which we saw last week, was that of his followers being unified. That the church would be, as the scriptures tell us, the church would be a body. Aren't you glad that your body isn't scattered all over the place today? You didn't have to go looking for your arms and your legs today as you got out of bed, right? I mean, that's a picture of the body of Christ. We're connected And because we're connected, we need to learn to love one another and obey the command of Christ. And we saw that very clearly last week. It was about the unified body of Christ and how we're to be unified in the love of Christ. 
Now Jesus moves to his final petition in chapter 17. In fact, all of chapter 17 is what we call that high priestly prayer of Jesus. I called it, I called it the Lord's Prayer. <laughs> because the one we call the Lord's Prayer is actually the disciples' prayer, right? The one where he said, pray like this. And he showed them how to pray. This is the Lord's Prayer. This is the, the high priestly prayer of Jesus. This whole chapter, chapter 17, has been so sweet. Some powerful truths. And no less powerful as we, as we come to these last few verses. And in verse 24, we find Jesus' final request. It's his final request here in this prayer in chapter 17. And it is a precious reminder of the final and greatest home of all who trust in Christ. Did you hear it when we read verse 24? For all who trust in Christ, there is this, it is a blessed assurance that, that they will one day be with him. We think about how sweet and precious that is to know that as you live this life, and you certainly will face death unless the Lord graciously raptures you home before then, and that would be all right. Amen? <laughs> It'd be all right. It'd be all right. It'd be okay, Lord, if you want to take us early before death. But we know we face that, right? I mean, we're... We all had medicine to take this morning too with breakfast, right? We all have these, you know, vitamins and things like that that we take. We know we're falling apart. We're living in these earthly tents. And we know that in the midst of that, our real hope is eternal hope. Because we look forward to being with Christ. All those crazy pills will be behind us, right? All those doctor visits and all the medicine, you know, the, the things that we do to stay healthy. Those, I walked with my wife a few days this week and man, she's hard to keep up with. She just walks so fast. I want to go for a walk. She wants to go for a run. She calls it walking. We won't have to go for these long walks to stay fit anymore. We might want to go for long walks just because we can and we can enjoy that on those what are they going to be? Streets of gold, right? We look forward to that, and we say, that'll be the day. And we look forward to that heavenly, heavenly worship of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. That'll be the day when we're with Him. Note how Jesus makes His request of the Father in verse 24. Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me may be with me where I am. He's already talking about being in heaven. In his mind, he's there, it's done. He hasn't been crucified yet, but he's... It's, this whole chapter we've been seeing that, it, it's, it's accomplished, it's finished. He, he opens chapter 17 with that thought, I'm, I'm done, it's time. My time is now, Father. Glorify me as you glorify yourself. Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me may be with me where I am. Where's that? That's going to be heaven. Note that it's Jesus' desire. Oh, it's a good thing that Jesus wants that, isn't it? Isn't it good that Jesus wants you to be with him in heaven? I'm so thankful that he is gone. We talked about that in Sunday school this morning, which we saw just a few chapters earlier here in John's Gospel, that wonderful reminder that he's gone to prepare a place for us. Isn't that good? Isn't that... Aren't you thankful for that, that he's gone to prepare a place for you and he wants you there? That's Jesus' desire. 
Thank you, Lord, for wanting me to be with you in heaven. He says here in verse 24 that all whom the Father has given him be with him. That's his request. That's his request. He's asking, Father, I I want all these who trust in me, who will trust in me through the word of the disciples. And that's everyone who's come after the disciples because of the ministry of the disciples and their faithfulness to pen the word of God and much of the New Testament that the Holy Spirit inspired as they penned those words. And so many, everyone who comes to Christ after Jesus' death, I mean, just really the fruit of the disciples and the apostles' ministry. And Jesus desired that all of those who believe in him will be with him in heaven he says, my desire, it's his desire. If you have the King James, it says, I will, I will, like it's my will. If you have the NIV, it says, I want. You get the idea? This is what Jesus wants. It's his will. It's his desire. So how do we know that we'll be with Jesus one day? Well, if you're listening and you say the Sunday school answer, you say, well, it's because Jesus wants it. And I would agree, yes. But how do we know that what Jesus wants, Jesus gets? Because <laughs> we've all had children or we have children, and they don't always get what they want. Sometimes they get what they need, right? And sometimes they don't get what they want. But how do we know that God the Son gets from God the Father what he wants? Well, if you're a student of Scripture and if you spend any time around here and you're listening closely, you know that Jesus gets what he wants because he only wants what the Father wants. Right? It's it's Jesus' business to do the Father's business. It's what he's been doing. It's what we've been seeing in, in John's Gospel. Jesus has been all about doing the Father's business, and he only prays for the Father's will to be accomplished. We've seen it several times in our study in John's Gospel. John chapter 4, verse 34, Jesus said, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. John chapter 5 and verse 30, we heard him say, I can do nothing on my own. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just because I seek not my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And then in John chapter 6 and verse 38, For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. So when Jesus prays, Father, I desire, or I will, or I want, you can rest assured that what he says next will be in line with what the Father wants. You know that that's a good example of how we ought to be praying? We read the scriptures, and they ought to inform our thinking, and it ought to shape our praying, so that as we pray, what comes out of our mouth is what God wants, because we want Him to be glorified in our lives, and in this world, and in the answers to our prayers. And that's Jesus. So when He prays, speaking of those who have believed in Him, and as well as all who will believe in Him, I desire that they also whom you have given me may be with me where I am. You can know for sure and you will be with him if you are his, if you have trusted in Jesus Christ. You can know this. This is your confidence to live in this, in this fallen world where we're often surrounded by the evidence of the fallen world we live in, the sin that surrounds us, and even we struggle with ourselves. 
You can be confident and you can rest assured that where Jesus is, you will be if your faith and trust is in Him. But that's something to praise God over, isn't it? That's something to praise God for. I mean, when you're facing the difficulties of living in this world where there are many kinds of troubles, we all could share a few, just a few, right? Troubles. It's a good thing to know that Jesus prepares a place for us and and we will be there. You can count on it because Jesus wants it. You can count on it because it's His desire. He wants it. And why does He want it? Because the Father wants it. It'll happen. You can count on it. This is certainly a blessed assurance, is it not? A blessed assurance, like in the hymn which Fanny Crosby wrote, Blessed Assurance, Jesus is mine. And I'm His. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine to know that. Heir of salvation, purchase of God. God has purchased me. Born of His Spirit, washed in His blood. That is a blessed assurance. Know this. Know this, beloved. And be encouraged that this blessed assurance is is yours if you are Christ's. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. But how can I know that it'll be better there than it is here? Some might ask, and you might run into that kind of question when you're trying to share the gospel with someone. It's like, how do you know that you know what's on the other side is going to be better than what's on this side? I mean, I'm enjoying life. I'm having fun. I'm making money and I'm buying stuff and I'm doing stuff, right? I mean, how do we know that what's on the other side is going to be better than what's on this side? Look at verse 24. Note the purpose. The purpose for which Jesus wants all those who are His to be with Him. He says in verse 24, to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. I mean, think of this and try to think of this if you can, because I have, I've got a pea brain and I'm having a hard time wrapping my pea brain around this big, big idea. Maybe you'll do better with it than I can, but Jesus wants all who are his to see his glory. Now, for me, that's hard to understand. It's like, what is God's glory like? What is the glory of Christ like? And what's it going to be like to see His glory? This is where we walk by faith and not by sight because we can't see it yet. I mean, this is something difficult to grasp. By you know, it's it's hard for a limited earthly kind of thinking to grasp these these grander filled ideas of seeing. The glory of Christ, because the Father has loved Him since since the beginning of time, since before the beginning of time as we know it. Jesus wants all who are His to see His glory, so it's got to be a really good thing. I mean, otherwise He'd say, just leave them there on earth because they're not going to be better off in heaven. 
No, he says, I want them to be with me. I want them to see my glory. I want them to see the glory that's mine because you've loved me before the foundation of the world. To see the glory of Christ will be to see him in all his splendor. I'm trying to wrap my mind around this. Help me as I try to help you. To see the glory of Christ. It'll be to see his, his splendor and majesty, which has all been given him by the Father because of the Father's love for him. A love which has existed before the foundation of the world. Now, in, in one way, there were those who saw the glory of Christ as he walked on this earth. They saw it in, in, I think, a very small way. To them who saw it, it was a, probably a very big thing. And if we saw it, we'd go, whoa, look at those miracles, right? There are those who saw his miracles. And I was like, that's astounding. There were some who believed because of the miracles. There were some who, who wanted to stone him to death because of the miracles. I mean, that's the kind of response that Jesus gets. It's either, you know, we want to kill you or we want to worship you. But they did not see the full measure of his glory. They could not see it this side of heaven. And we can't grasp and fathom the full measure of God's glory seen in Christ because of the depths of his love this side of heaven. Trust me on this. We're not gonna, I'm not gonna be able to explain it to you properly. <laughs> we walk by faith in this. The scriptures help, and that's why I'm a minister of the word. Because <laughs> if I was a minister of my word, I wouldn't be up here because I don't have much to say if I don't have the book. And we ought not be people who have a lot to say without the Bible. And here's something that does help. When we're thinking about the glory of Christ, we can go to the word and the word does help. It says 1 John 3.2, Beloved, we are God's children now. And what we will be has not yet appeared. And we understand that because we don't quite understand it. We don't quite understand what's going to be. We're not quite sure totally what God's glory is going to be. We understand that it's what we will be has not yet appeared because we're not totally grasping what we will be like in heaven. But we know that when He appears... We shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. We will have eyes that finally see the glory of Christ. And how precious to know that where Jesus wants us will be a place where we will finally see him as he is because we will be like him. I go back to that sinless nature of Christ, and I think, sin, be gone. <laughs> That's what it means, be like him, right? And when that is gone, we will have eyes that finally see the glory of Christ. If you're God's child, if you've trusted in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, then you can rest assured and look forward to the fact that being with Jesus will be beyond your present ability to comprehend because you will see His glory then like you cannot see His glory this side of heaven. You will understand His glory then like you cannot understand it now. So God help us 
to anticipate properly that beholding of the glory of Christ. But what you can know, this side of heaven, is that there will be a day when everyone will know who Jesus is. Every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, just as we hear in Philippians 2. Listen to verses 9 through 11. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That will be a precious day. And when you see Christ, there will be a very special revealing of His glory that has existed before the foundation of the world and that as a result of the Father's love for the Son, the deep, deep love for the Father's Son, that's just what Jesus is pointing to in verse 24 here in John 17. So all who trust in Christ will be with Him in glory, and all who trust in Him will see His glory and will see it fully. Since Jesus is all about doing the Father's will, we can know that He is in fact praying according to the Father's will here. And we can know that we will be with Him and we will see His glory even though we don't totally understand it now. We will be be spending with Him a life in eternity in the presence of Christ and His glory will bring, bring you far greater joy than you can possibly find here on earth in anything. I mean, imagine the highest joy here on earth and multiply it beyond anything you can imagine. That'll be the glory of Christ revealed. So what about until then, Pastor? (laughs) What about until then? How are you to get along here on earth while you wait for that day when, when you'll be with Jesus? You've made that sound so good. I can't wait. But what about today? Note the statement Jesus makes in verse 25. And note this is not a request. There's a request in verse 24, not in verse 25 or verse 26. Look at verse 25. O righteous Father, a statement of truth. O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you, and these know that you have sent me. So first Jesus addresses God as as righteous Father. And that statement of truth is set in contrast to the truth that the world does not know the Father. Do you see that? O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, the Father is righteous. Those who are in the world are not. And we're talking about those who are not believers, those who are not followers of Christ. That's typically how John has been talking about the world. When he talks about the world, he's talking about those who do not believe, who have, who have not faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And then Jesus states that he knows God and the, uh, the, he knows God the Father, and that statement of truth is connected to the truth that these know that you have sent me. You see that? I know you and these know you that have sent me. The contrast between the world that doesn't believe and the 
the followers of Christ that do, the contrast between the righteousness of God and the unrighteousness of the world. These, these of whom Jesus speaks, I know you and these know that you have sent me. He's talking about the disciples. And by implication, that truth applies to all who believe that the Father has sent the Son and believe that this is the truth, that all who come to faith in Christ will know that the Father has sent him. And I think what we're seeing here is that there is a revealing work going on. There is a revealing of knowledge. There is a revealing of truth going on in the hearts and minds of those who believe in Jesus Christ. Note that Jesus points to the fact that the world does not know God. And then he says, I know you. And then proceeds with this truth that those who trust in him know that he has been sent by the Father. And I think a good way to understand this is to note that God has made himself known in Christ. If it were not for Christ, we would not know God. No one comes to the Father except through the Son. And in those who have faith in Christ, God is making Himself known more and more. God is continually making Himself known to those who have faith in His Son and who rest in His Word, who insist on being led by the Spirit of God that indwells them. In other words, yielding. <laughs> it ought to be our desire to yield when God says move, right? Turn, walk, run, stop, sit, rest. <laughs> you read God's Word, you're going to find His teaching, His commands, His instruction, and you will, the more and more you study the truths of God's Word, you will feel impressed on your heart when God is moving you to action. I'm not talking about some kind of, you know, out of body hocus pocus kind of thing, but you will, God will move you because He will be working in you, revealing Himself to you by the power of His Word and the work of the Spirit, helping you see where you need to take action, where you need to keep your mouth closed, <laughs> where you need to encourage, where you need to get busy, where you need to serve, when you need to rest. He's making Himself known more and more, all in anticipation of that time when His glory will be revealed in all its splendor in Christ. Well, you might ask, how does this ongoing work of God revealing Himself to those who are His own take place? How does He reveal Himself to us? How does He make Himself known? I think that's what we see in verse 26. In verse 26, there's a truth which Jesus proclaims and points to which is instructive about how God reveals Himself to those who believe. Verse 26, look at it again. I made known to them Your name, and I will continue to make it known that the love with which You have loved Me may be in them and I in them. So how is God doing this ongoing work of making Himself known to His people? And the idea being so that they would change and be more like His Son and walk in obedience. Jesus says, I made known to them Your name, which is really the same idea we heard from Christ when He prayed in verse 6. Go back and look at verse 6 for a moment where He prayed, And I have manifested Your name. 
I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. I have manifested your name. I have made known your name. In other words, I have told them about you, God. I've been teaching them truth. They've been getting doctrinal truth, which reveals the nature of God. I've helped them see you in what I've taught them and teaching them your truth with the words that you gave me to give to them. And of course, implied here is in knowing God's name is knowing God. Because the more you know about God, which is the idea of knowing God's name or having God's name revealed to you, the more you know about God, the more you know God. Jesus has made God known. And here we learn that He will continue to make God known. It's an ongoing work that Christ will continue to work in His followers until they are finally with Him in glory. But not everyone in the world has the knowledge of God. Not everyone in the world has God revealing Himself to them. We heard it in verse 6, I have manifested Your name to the people whom You gave Me out of the world. We hear it also in verse 25, A righteous Father, even though the world does not know You. So this knowing of God is not for everyone in the world indiscriminately. It's for those who have trusted in Jesus Christ. This knowing, this revealing work of God in the hearts of people is in the hearts of His people, in the hearts of followers of Christ, for those who believe in Christ. And to those who believe in the Son, the Father is making Himself known. And I want you to note the purpose for which Jesus makes known the name of God to those who believe. He says, and this is, I know this is a long answer. This is an answer to the question, how are we to get along? (laughs) In the meantime, verse 26, that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. And that brings us back to that question, doesn't it? How are we to get along in this world while we anticipate our eternal heavenly home in the presence of the magnificent glory of Christ? Oh, that will be glory! But what about now? (laughs) That's the answer, isn't it? Verse 26. Look at it again. And the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. Yes, Jesus was crucified and, and buried, but he rose from the dead and ascended into heaven and no longer walks here on earth in bodily form. But guess what? If you're His child, He's in you. He's in you. We aren't left without help. We rejoice at our heavenly home. We anticipate. We look forward to seeing the glory of Christ. I can't wait. But the Lord says, you have to wait. (laughs) But that's okay, I'm helping you. You're not alone. You have Christ, and you have the love of God being poured into your heart by way of the Holy Spirit. 
We aren't left without help. We have God's help as Jesus makes known God's love to those who believe. You can see what a precious gift it is to have faith. It is a gift of God that we're able to have faith, that we believe, because as we believe, he pours his love into our lives. He gives us Christ to indwell us by way of the Holy Spirit to help us as we await that eternal destination. And that's a truth that has implications about how God's people experience unity as a church this side of heaven. We talked about that unity last week. That has implications about how we practice unity. It's only by the power of the Spirit and as the love of God does its work changing us, making us like His Son. In this sinful and fallen world where unity is not natural for self-centered human beings, there will be a growing unity unity of believers when they are by God's grace growing up in love by God's love growing up in love there will be unity so yes look forward to seeing Christ in all his glorious splendor because that is a precious day to anticipate but know also that here and now you have the love of God at work in you growing His love in you as He reveals Himself, God making Himself known to your heart. Christ in you, the hope of glory. That ought to sound familiar because that's from Colossians 1.27 about how we're enabled to live in this world while we await Christ's return. To them, God chose to make known How great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory.